right, you know what that sound means. I am Mitch Maley, and this is the Bradenton Times Podcast, and we are back in election mode as we get closer to November. My guest today is Bradenton City Council candidate Lisa Gonzalez-Moore. Lisa, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So you are in a three-person race for Bradenton City Council. So um, to explain again to listeners how this works, if you live within the city of Bradenton, the races are contested citywide. So you anywhere within the city, you will have all the races on your um, uh, ballot, even if it's if you don't live in that ward. And they are nonpartisan, so there's no party identification or affiliation. And it is an open race. Uh, Bradenton changed it a few years ago, where it used to be like a school board where they do uh, a runoff election following the primary. But now it's just winner take all on November. So whoever gets the most vote. Uh, on November will be the next Bradenton City um, Council member. So uh, let's talk a little bit, Lisa. You have a pretty interesting background. You're a local attorney, and uh, you've been here, I believe, about 20 years. Yes. And you grew up in Tampa. I did. So why don't you tell us a little bit about growing up there? I believe your parents came from Cuba? They did. They took the long route, I like to say. So they went from Cuba in the late 1950s to New York. I was born there. Uh, my parents met actually in school there and as high schoolers and we moved to tampa in 1977 uh, my sister was born in tampa and that's where i grew up tampa cuban tampa cuban i uh love the tampa cuban culture um i love cuban food i love cuban coffee i love cuban music i love all of it uh what were some of the things that you were most fond about in in that sort of uh upbringing and being around a lot of your family's culture well, it was wonderful, of course, because I agree. I love Cuban food. I love Cuban uh, culture. I grew up with, so my parents split, and my uh, father's side of the family moved to Miami. We don't really keep in touch that well, unfortunately, but I would consider my immediate family to be my grandparents. Um, funny story there. And so there's three of them, two grandmothers and a grandfather. And then my mom, and my mom had a a mentally uh, disabled uncle, so more like a brother to me. We were only nine years apart, and so the family unit was the grandparents, my mom, my sister, and my uncle. Where did you go to college at? I went to the University of Florida. Go oh, Gators. Go Gators, all right. And law school at? Uh, Double Gator. Oh, wow. Yes. Excellent. All, Gators all the way. Um, what brought you and your family to Bradenton? Well, I met my husband undergrad. And we were in a class called Law, Politics, and Regulation, and he needed my notes. <laughs> um, so I shared, and he had to, um, well, he didn't have to, but he went to Miami to go to law school. And we were wanting for both of us to stay in Gainesville, so we ultimately got married in law school, graduated, and we had spent some time in Miami because that's where he had gone to law school. That was where I first clerked. We considered moving to Miami. But just the traffic, <laughs> um, I didn't want a 45-minute commute. Yeah. Uh, we knew we wanted a family. So Tampa also had grown, you know, from 1977 mm -hmm. to the late 1990s, not the same. Um, and so we decided that we wanted a more small-town feel. We went from Gainesville to Sarasota originally. Uh, he went to work for the state attorney's office. I went to work for Williams Parker Law Firm there. And then we started having kids and slowly migrated up. And we probably, I think we landed in Manatee County in 2000. And then in, let me see, the youngest was two. So it was 2010 that we went from Manatee County to where we currently live in Ward 4. Excellent. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about the kind of law that you practice. I'm primarily real estate, uh, commercial and residential. 
I offer title insurance services, of course, uh, and we also do, um, but also do law in addition to title. So there's leasing, contract review, and drafting, um, anything that has to do with real estate outside of title insurance we can handle. I also do a little bit of business law that's usually related to either a small business that's you know, getting started and wanting help with uh, getting their, their business established or related to probably owning some investment property, leasing or something like that. Okay, so two lawyers and four kids. Why in the world would you want to add in city council? And two dogs. <laughs> oh, and two dogs. <laughs> Why would you want to add in city council? What, what inspired you to run for office? I've been thinking about it for a couple of years. And you know, the, the short story is when we moved to Ward 4, uh, that the house that we moved into had been vacant for about four years. And the, the drywall was spongy to the touch. The woman had, that had lived there had passed away, and her children were not local. So they had just turned off the AC and, Ooh, and left yeah. it, yes. Um, but it's a beautiful spot right behind Three Keys Brewery. And we loved the yard. We had the dogs. We had the little kids. And so labor of love, we just went for it and stripped the drywall, painted what we could. Um, and then saved up and a couple years later renovated and now we have this little, you know, slice of heaven, you could say, in Ward 4. But around us, we kept waiting for it to, we expected an up and coming neighborhood. We thought we were- Yeah, that was a weird place a because thing. it was so incredibly well located. And I used to always kind of marvel that there wasn't more redevelopment and rehabitable houses in that area because it's close to the water, it's, it's close to downtown, but yet it's still kind of quiet and everything. So yes. it w was kind of late to, to blossom. It was. It really was. Um, there was a great article this morning in the Brainton Herald touting all the great things that are coming, mm -hmm. um, to which this morning over breakfast when I said, did you read that article? His response was, yeah, it's just too bad. It took, you know, 15 years. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we just kept waiting. And meanwhile, the street is flooding. The mm -hmm. potholes aren't getting fixed. And, you know, the, the no one's paying attention to caring for the river. We have a fantastic, um, you know, we are able to see it and, and it's beautiful. And every time the kids or I spot a uh, porpoise or a manatee, it's almost like, phew, the river is still healthy. Right. <laughs> um, so a couple of years ago, um, you know, we, we also were part, I, th I think the sense, let me back up and say, I think that the sense in that particular area was that we loved our little sleeping neighborhood, but we we just started to need things. You know, you mm -hmm. can only get trapped in the flood for so long before you have to start thinking about a change. And so I think that area generally decided, let's try for something different. And we're still waiting and we're still flooding and needing things. So a couple of years ago, I started to kick it around. I do have all the kids. I love my practice. I have no desire to stop my practice. And so the timing really had to be right. You know, we, we kind of told a few people, told a few neighbors, we're thinking about this. Um, but before I really could commit, I wanted to make sure that the kids were in a good spot, that the family was taken care of. I, um, I hired a paralegal almost two years ago because I'm a, I'm a one-woman show for okay. many years, uh, which I loved. And um, best decision I ever made. Um, Shout out to Elaine, because if it wasn't for Elaine, I could not uh, do what I do with the right. kids. With or even contemplate this. something with this. Right, yeah. exactly. So it was nerve-wracking to finally hire an employee, but mm -hmm. best decision I ever made. Um, so now that 
we're here, you know, it's in election year, and I'm committing, much to the uh, prodding of the neighborhood, and I just had a family meeting and said, this is, you know, what we're looking at, and my oldest is 19, my youngest is nine, I'm completely blessed with teenagers that are willing to pitch in, now some, you know, a couple of them can drive now, that's huge, and everybody committed to wanting to make this thing happen, we're, we're fond of saying more <laughs> and then from the firm front I had a conversation with Elaine she was supportive um, reassured her that the firm was you know not going anywhere and because of that fantastic support I was able to tell the neighborhood let's do it now what do you let's talk a little bit about the vision for Bradenton's future because Bradenton is definitely at a, at a crossroads of sorts we are in the midst of making some very big decisions in terms of what the downtown is going to look like, what the river district is going to eventually become. It's, it's, we're, we're getting down to really the last decisions on building out what will be the chief economic engines of the city. I've been very critical of some of the decisions that were made in the last few years. It seems much of it is very patch quilt, hodgepodge. They commit to certain uh, visions, and then a developer comes before them and says, yeah, but we want to do something different. And they're like, yeah, okay. Uh, I'll give you one example. In your ward, in your neighborhood, the Dunkin' Donuts. I knew you were going to say yes. the Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> I was very critical of that because when I saw the that overlay district and the renderings for it, and they said, every business that's going to come here is going to comply with this historical, um, you know, uh, it, it's going to be compatible with the design that's already there. We're going to put, you know, they have those new apartments in there. And then, you know, they showed how all of that was going to lay out. And then all of a sudden Dunkin' Donuts comes in and says, yeah, um, we could do something like that. There's all these other examples of Starbucks and everything conforming. Even McDonald's in some cities have conformed to, you go to New Orleans and you'll see people, even uh, the Burger King in Ybor City. Yes. Uh, that's all brick yes. and, and done in the same sort of uh, design. And then as soon as the attorney for the developer said, yeah, they don't want to do that. They want to do their new sort of bland, you know, uh, industrial um, look that they're putting on all their um, new stores. And the city just rolled over and said, okay. Uh, so that that's one in particular. We had, of course, the sand pile was a, was a big decision. And again, the original... Uh, the original application for Riversong had arcades with all this retail that was supposed to be there. And it was supposed to be this way that they kind of squeezed the players to move over to MPAC so that they could build the garage where their old facility was and promised them that, oh, we're going to, we're going to tie the Riverwalk all together and we're going to bridge that gap. Cause I think one of the reasons that your neighborhood sort of was delayed was there was always kind of this, you know, people just didn't go east to, of 301. And there was really not much reason unless you're going to the ER to, to go over on that side of things. And the idea was we're going to put retail in here. And the original renders I remember had like, it looked like sort of Lakewood Ranch's Main Street. It had, you know, a Starbucks, a Black House, White Market, whatever they call that, um, and a bunch of places like that in it. And then the developer comes back again and says, well, in this economic climate, we don't see the retail really being there. So uh, I know we promised all these things in order to get this, but now we just want to put up apartments and it'll just basically be impacting apartments. And there's been nothing radically different about that area since. And, you know, MPAC isn't happening every night and there's no 
Uh, there's not a lot of like, you know, dining or anything on that side. There's, there's still not much reason to cross 301 when you're downtown. Um, what do you see in terms of, you know, some of that has already been decided, obviously, but what do you see in terms of a vision for that area and where the city might do better in the future? My thought is uh, just as a, on a general basis, what makes sense to me is you put high-end things along the river, uh, a, mi a, uh, a mix of public space with private space. So you have, you know, and uh, Riverwalk is a great example of you know, some open park spaces that are open to the public. Um, but you put your higher-end stuff closer to the water, and then as you go out of the water, you can increase density, and the dollars that from that investment on the river will naturally begin to raise the tax base so that the whole area kind of benefits from and you don't price out you know because as you get away from the water and that, that's the natural thing you know my father-in-law years ago when we were buying our first house told me something along the lines of you don't want to have the most expensive house in the neighborhood and it's because i think that adage is true not necessarily not having the, you can have the most expensive house. In right, the but you usually do better if you have the least expensive house in terms of the return. Because right. you know it's yeah. going to, you know, that 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 big fancy house mm -hmm. is going to help you with your, you know, right. average house. Um, and so to me, that just makes sense. When we fail to plan ahead and have that kind of vision of let's look long term, let's look what increases the tax base, what brings in the dollars for the entire community uh, when you're planning. Uh, you said hodgepodge, I would call it Band-Aid. Um, when you just put a little thing here and a little thing there, what you get is no real unity, which means that you don't have that naturally occurring increase for all with the tax base. So my thought is we need a strategic plan. We need to look long-term because what I don't want to see happen, so the, the argument over the previous um, development 20 years ago was, a, uh, or 25 years ago, was a little bit before my time, but... I know what people mean when they mean the sand pile, and I know that that was disappointing to many. So, I want to avoid that again. You know, I, I don't want my kids twenty years from now saying, "Well, you guys did a horrible job, and we don't want to come back." That's really my concern. Um, so, my thought is have a strategic plan, make sense of it, so that the tax base is increased. This will also solve other problems. I've always wondered why we haven't looked at creative solutions for East Bradenton. You know, the homes there are old for sure. The infrastructure is. Uh, in dire need of improvement, but it's a fantastic opportunity for a little investment. Um, it's so adjacent to services that we might need for the downtown, for the higher end waterfront properties. You know, if we could come up with that model, if we could come up with a vision that ha that allows that growth, it seems like a reasonable place to also have accessible, available housing for people as well. You know, we don't have to put them in one story of an apartment or condo complex for eight or five years, mm -hmm. we can actually just focus on the redevelopment and investment in certain older, you know, in uh, danger of becoming blighted areas in our community. If we focused on that, my thought is we could actually build something a little more sustainable and something a little more long-term. Speaking of blight, that term, um, city of Bradenton has notoriously over the course of decades been the real uh, barrier between a lot of the more aggressive um, and innovative ideas for handling our traffic gridlock in the Central Corridor. And when I look at cities like Tampa and the incredible things that they're doing in terms of building 
very, very, very innovative, uh, creative solutions to moving traffic around their busiest areas. Uh, I mean, some of those new overpasses are just amazing to me in terms of how they've solved what could have been otherwise crushing gridlock. St. Pete, same way. St. Pete is a beautiful city to be able to get in and out of. Super easy. You go off 175, boom, you're downtown. Um, Bradenton held up the ideas for doing graded elevation over either of the bridges. Uh, their argument always being that, well, overpasses cause blight. And I think that's a that's a really antiquated idea. Uh, you can look at some old cities and see, you know, people living under the underpasses. And, and I, I don't necessarily think that there's causation there as much as correlation. And when I look at it now... And I look at all those people, those previous board members who stood in the way and said, no way, no way, we're not doing the, uh, and, and so many opportunities have been missed because we didn't buy the right of ways when in fact, Braden Times publisher, Joe McClash, when he was on the Metropolitan Planning Organization board was was screaming from the rooftops, we have to buy where the, where the current Starbucks is downtown, where the current Walgreens is downtown. And he was saying, they're empty, we have to buy them. They're gonna be necessary for right of ways and you have to buy them when they're vacant because now they're cost prohibitive to ever try to do a taking. So we we had this always, it was, it was the mayor and the city council of Bradenton saying, no, 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 we're not doing that. And now the result is, okay, so, you haven't brought people that aren't, you know, most of those, and that's what we've seen in the traffic studies, the vast majority of the traffic coming over the Greenbridge N301 are coming, originating north of Manatee County and finishing their trip south of Manatee County. And it's because the interstate, 75 used to seem, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it was easy to get that far out and come back in. So when 75 was built, you look at a map, it was like, oh, okay, people just always come down 75. Well, now, of course, we know with all the development out there, that's not, you know, uh, an efficient way to do it. So instead of doing the graded elevation that we could have done back then, instead of doing flyovers to get people east and west, instead we said, no, we don't want to hurt our downtown businesses. We don't want to drive by. Well, now they're sitting in gridlock. I don't think anybody's saying, hey, let me see if I can find a parking spot and go into one of these stores. Right. You know, they're trying to avoid downtown like it's the plague. It so is true. Is there any sort of vision you have for ways that we might creatively tackle the the traffic issue that so many people in downtown Bradenton talk about quality of life being deterred by? Yes, I don't think, I don't disagree with you. Um, we did miss an opportunity not expanding the right-of-way when we could have before Starbucks put there, uh, was built there. Um, my thought is that there's a couple of things uh, that you mentioned. We do need it. Um, I think 20 years ago, the thought was, the argument was, we are a small, unique, special town. Bradenton is special, and we want to keep it that way. And I can appreciate the sentiment. There's a reason why we went from you know, Tampa to Miami to Gainesville, to Sarasota, to Bradenton. And it was because when we landed here, we loved it. Who wouldn't? Um, but the growth is coming. You cannot stop it. The horse is out of the gate. So we have to address it at this point. I, my thought is if we planned ahead, we could retain that mm -hmm. vibe, that we could keep Bradenton, what makes it fantastic. But if we were smart growth proponents, then we could plan for the deluge of new residents that are pouring in. I do think that some kind of overpass is absolutely necessary. I believe that's being you know, debated right now currently with the current council. Where it goes, speaking to the blight question, is a good one. I appreciate the concern for blight 
to the extent that the area that they want to put it already struggles from it because there is maybe more in my, and I, honestly I haven't researched this extensively but my gut feeling is if the area that you put it is already in danger of blight well then sure I think the, w- the way you put it was very good um, correlation versus causation so there could be some correlation there I think that we should listen to that community. If that's their concern, I think my neighborhood is one of them. Uh, Brain Castle is one of them. Mm-hmm. If the corridor goes directly over us, we're already struggling a little bit, and there could be some correlation with you know some. Well, I, I don't think the the third bridge option is never going to go anywhere because it's just it, from an engineering standpoint, you're never going to get the approvals, the environmental issues that have with it. And the problem with the third bridge option is that you'd be taking a a lot of the traffic in an area where there's not nearly as much demand. So you wouldn't really be solving the problem that much. You're not getting the people uh, that are going to 275 and the Skyway over on that side. Um, I think that the only one that has a possibility is to do the graded separation at at 301. And I guess, I mean, I think Joe put it best when he said, what you ultimately have to do is make 301 the most attractive option, which it's not right now. If you're coming from the north, if you're up in, in uh, Duet or you're up in anywhere in North County or you're coming in even from St. Peter, whatever, it's asinine to say this, but the easiest way to get across is go through downtown Palmetto and go over the Green Bridge. That's actually faster than coming over uh, the Manatee Bridge. So it's, it's or the Soto Bridge, excuse me. Um, it's very, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's, not fair to the people of Palmetto because now you've got people that are tr- like try to come out at any sure. of those side streets and merge onto Main Street um, during any kind of peak hours, and it's almost impossible. Uh, those businesses are hit by that because again, who wants to go and and try to transact in downtown Palmetto during those you know three hours in the morning and three hours in the afternoon if they don't absolutely have to? And then you know downtown Bradenton, obviously you know that that, that suffers from it as well. Um, the idea that the communities that we're getting the most pushback for from are going to be largely in Palmetto at this point, I think, for graded separation. We're going to have the, uh, you know, there are some historical businesses um, up on that north end, but again, they're not thriving. They're struggling. I don't know how keeping a problem of tremendous traffic going through that area is going to actually benefit those businesses uh, because I don't see people pulling off and using them for that exact reason. Like you get to a certain point and and you're beyond the threshold. Like I'm not stopping my momentum. I'm trying to get the next light. You know, I I agree with you that I I have two other points, but uh, just to speak to that one initially about the Palmetto businesses, I agree with you because I think those three hours in the morning and the afternoon, I believe that they correlate with school. Yeah. So they're people that are you know, we're stuck with that hour. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see it because in the summer it's not as hideous. Um, but yes, yeah, so yes, I agree with you. And I think that the other cities are great studies. So to the extent that we delayed our progress a little bit, I guess you could say that the one shining, you know, silver lining to that would be that we now have other cities that we can point to to, to look at and say what worked, what didn't work. And so... I absolutely do think that we should look into that. It's a quality of life issue. And I think now that we've seen other surrounding cities be so successful with it, there is a path for us to study it, figure it out, plan for the future, and then move forward with it. The uh, opportunity that's going to come up next, obviously, is City Hall. And this has been something that, you know, I've been critical about it because it seemed, as I wrote months ago, it seemed very 
uh, plausible in the beginning of these conversations that the city was going to move forward without bidding the the process out. Um, they seemed to have a plan that was very suspect. Um, you know, your one of your opponents, the incumbent, you know, raised the point that this would maybe be the only property in all of Florida that we'd be essentially selling it 20 years later for what it cost us to build it 20 years earlier. Somehow that didn't appreciate. And the amount of money that's going to be required for the two facilities that we're replacing is going to be about, it looks like about three to four times higher than most of the bids. Uh, I do agree with moving City Hall. Obviously, I, I think everybody pretty much agrees it was a bad idea to, you know, that whole entire council, the mayor, everybody got punished in, at the polls because putting prime property tax, you know, uh, land off of the, the, the tax rolls obviously doesn't benefit the community that much. And then, you know, having to do all the city hall business isn't, isn't, you know, necessarily benefiting the downtown. So moving them, I believe, is a good idea. I like the two locations that they're talking about. Uh, but there's the big decision of not only what is the best bid, uh, they're, they're all kind of similar um, of the, the five that, uh, that we reviewed, uh, but what's going to be there? And I guess that's probably going to be particularly if the if the county sells the library and th then you have another opportunity for development, that's going to be the thing that kind of defines what downtown Bradenton's future is going to look like. You know, if you look at, you know, we've got some exciting development with the new hotel, with the rooftop, you know, uh, that's starting to change the, the character of our downtown a little bit. Um, but we have a lot of conversation with people saying, well, we don't want to look like Sarasota. We don't want to look like St. Pete. Uh, how much of that is inevitable? And then what is your vision for that area where City Hall is right now? What would you like to see uh, in terms of transitioning what we have now into a future that benefits the city? I, I agree with you that the, the City Hall and the police department have outgrown the space. And that, that's unfortunately just, that's a fact and we're gonna have to deal with it just like many things. The sale was actually one of the things that solidified my commitment to running because it is what it's in the wheelhouse of skills that I could bring if I was able to participate as a council person. It does not look like that is the timing is unfortunately going to be. But in this um, in this moment, then when I at least have a microphone, I will say my concern is rushing it certainly because my thought is much like 20 years ago, once you commit, once the contract is signed, we're committed and it affects generations, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now. So I, I would encourage the council to really slow down and take a hard look at what is there. As far as my vision for what is there, I would also like a lot of community input in that because I, I have a vision. I'd like to retain the, the aesthetic of Bradenton and I think we can incorporate historical elements, but like as because I think the growth is here and out of the gate, I think there's no way to avoid you know, the character changing a little bit. So I would just want to reassure people, yes, if if the community expresses a desire to retain some element of our historical, uh, you know, aesthetic and character, then please, let's do that. There are ways you can do that. We, you know, that's not an insurmountable goal, certainly. Um, I do think that if we built some kind of mixed-use thing there, I agree that it could raise the tax base, certainly. Um, what I would want to keep an eye out for, particularly for East Bradenton, that's out of uh, CRA district, is making sure that when we 
sit down to actually budget that city dollars then are funneled into areas that are outside of the CRA because the CRA dollars have to circle yeah. within its um, own area and East Bradenton is not in that area. So I would want to make sure that that was happening. Um, so my thought is, you know, community involvement. I do think that there's an opportunity to increase the tax base and I want to make sure that the areas outside of that CRA are well-funded and, and that that's an appropriate allocation of our dollars. To the point as uh, about whether it's a good deal, uh, I can't speak to why it cost us $10 million 20 years ago. It's, I wasn't there. I wasn't a part of the conversation. Uh, if I researched it, I probably could find, but hopefully, you know, you're a journalist. I'm not. <laughs> so I'll lean to, to journalists and historians to tell me. But I will say that if this appraisal that came in at $10.5 million, if it's from a reputable firm, if it aligns with, you know, do we need a different appraisal? If, if the, is there a concern of the community such that we need to shop around and have comparative? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I, th I think the red flag on it was that when it was presented by the city manager uh, during, a, I think it was during a capital improvement plan um, presentation, it was presented that, hey, we've had a developer show interest in this sort of swap they were talking about at the time, building on top of the Herald building and developing this part. And the developer, NDC, is known to do an enormous amount of business with the city. And there have been complaints from many other developers that you don't even bother making a bid when NDC is going to make one because they're going to underbid you. And then the city has a long history of change orders being approved on consent agendas where, you know, the contracts for this X amount. And then next thing you know, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. The city garage is an example of that. And, you know, the incumbent has raised a lot of questions of, Hey, some of these things are good ideas for the city, but are we getting a good deal on them? So when this was presented, it was kind of like, Hey, and we've got a firm out of Jacksonville that's going to uh, appraise it. And we've got an appraisal and we've got an, uh, you know, a, a offer of interest and, oh boy, they just happened to line up and um, we could do this real quick. And that was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then once the public attention came on it, then it was, oh, no, 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 we're going to do a request for um, off, or, uh, ROIs um, and so forth. And we're, we're going to bid it out and, and see different projects. So, but we're still using that original appraisal. And we've already seen from the offers that every one of them, I think, but one came in a, a good bit higher than than the appraisal. So it it doesn't, exactly pass the smell test. Sure. I, I can appreciate the the concern. And I think it's important for people like yourself who have a, a voice to rate, ask the questions, certainly. Like I said, I to the extent that we don't have any facts, though, maybe we need to know them. So I can appreciate that the timing seems suspicious. And if that's the case, then let's, now that we've got the five other bids, let's get another appraisal. Let's put people's, let's assure people, let's reassure them to, so that there's not concern about the value. There's really no other way to do it. Um, I mean, we need the space. We need to re relocate those two departments. We need probably, I would say, it's a good idea to redevelop that area a little bit to increase the tax base a little bit and bring more business in. So to the extent that there's a red flag there, we either need to investigate and find more facts as to some wrongdoing, or we need to just say, okay, we need transparency. We've got now, that would make six I think that maybe NDC's original is probably included in the five. 
and some version of it. Um, and now we need to get another appraisal, you know, reassure the public. Yeah, and NDC, I believe, is bidding with an outside firm from New York and has a different concept now coming forward, especially now that we're not going to do that swap building on top of uh, downtown. Um, the let's, let's talk a little bit about the, just the idea of developer influence because it, with that hodgepodge, what I would actually define it as is really developer-driven development. And I think that's happened all over the county. And to be fair to the city in terms of the traffic issue, I think that you have to look at the county and place a lot of the blame on the rampant development in the Northeast Corridor, Parish, Ellington, in which we've allowed a tremendous amount of unsustainable development. And when I say that, you know, county commissioners will often say, well, you know, landowners have rights. We can't just tell them they can't build. That's true, but I can just list dozens of times off the top of my head since, since I've been at this paper uh, the last 13 years, of when a developer had a certain right to develop something, and then the county comes, they, they come and ask the county, well, instead, can we develop something entirely different? You know, the Saddle Creek development is, or Gamble Creek, excuse me, is uh, a great recent example in which someone out in uh, uh, Parish says, hey, I've got this property that used to be farmland, and it's currently zoned that you could put a house every five acres, and that would be about 1,200 of them. Uh, but what I'd really like to do is build about 7,200 of them. And oh, by the way, it's east of the future development area boundary that we're not supposed to do anything like that. Uh, but we want to do it anyway because, hey, people want to come move here and we, we need to build houses for them. Um, and the county's mindset, too many of the developer-sponsored commissioners, in my opinion, have always had this mindset of it's somehow the community's job to build a house for anybody that wants to move here, even if it's at the expense of the quality of life of the people that live here already. But to be very to be county, you know, on the other end, I never heard any mayor or councilman in, or council person in Bradenton um, complaining and, and trying to work with the county and trying to say, hey, all of this development that you're allowing is really choking off the central corridor and really causing a lot of problems for downtown Bradenton. And I think the reason for that is that both of them have been so dominated by developer influence that everybody's kind of been happy just, hey, we stay in office, we get checks written for us, and you know we keep the right people happy. And, and uh, a lot of the, the residents might not like it, but you know the, the check strokers and the check collectors are doing just fine. I would say, uh, of course, as a real estate attorney, I would say you know property rights 100% behind them, absolutely. But I would say that when you're talking about the city is, or the city and the county, both of them, they have a role to play because they are the planners. So it has to be smart growth. And I don't think that there's anything that, I don't think that there's a rub between it, in, insisting that a development smartly plan. Um, a good example of that within the city is that new development uh, near Mixon's, uh, that 26, you know, that, that 26th Street with that new development and a 7-Eleven going on the corner, that probably needs to be widened because that's going to start to bottleneck too. Mm -hmm. um, so my thought is you're not, it's not overly burdensome to a property owner to say, yes, this is a great propo proposal you have for development, for new housing, for the new residents, but let's be smart about it. And again, it's that forward vision that I think we're lacking a little bit that hinders us from being smart about how it affects the current infrastructure, how it burdens the roads. 
And that's why I am pushing so much for some kind of strategic plan, some kind of long-range vision that really holds our council people and our leadership accountable for when they're passing these projects to really think it through. Um, we have great staff, I understand, that you know are smart and good at what they do, and they've been there for decades, and I want to lean on their expertise. I'd really want to know, what are you telling me, city planner, about what is the traffic going to look like in this area if we go forward with this? What do I, what do I need to ask the developer for so that this is a successful project for everyone? I'm not saying that the developer has to give anything away for free with their property. I'm not saying that they have to take less money for their property, but I am saying that for whatever you want to do, it should be smart and it should mm -hmm. account for the future. As to what's happening in East County, that's a probably pretty decent, um, you know, at least to the extent that it um, bottlenecks us because we don't have the infrastructure in place for that heavy East County growth. Um, we should be working with them. I think it's probably a good idea to be realistic about the current culture and and ideological viewpoints of the two bodies of governance because you're going to have to understand if I'm a city council person I'm going to have to understand well it's likely that the the current governance of the county is going to do xyz so I've got to know that so that I can go forward with my plan and expectation of what's probably going to happen so that we can do our best for what we can control um, certainly we can control that with our vote <laughs> and I would encourage everyone to vote and use that voice, that mechanism for making sure that you can uh, hold your leaders accountable for either their lack of conversation or their lack of vision. Really, okay. what else can we do? Sticking on developer influence, hardball question. Your opponent has pointed out that your husband is a principal at the firm that represents NDC, as is another sitting city council person that would, if elected, that would make two people with a spouse at that firm, which also is where the city attorney comes from. Um, and I do, I really strongly agree that there is a problem with contracting the city attorney because there are so many places where there's a potential conflict of interest. On a number of cases, they've brought in council or conflict attorneys, um, and that hasn't really worked out well. In fact, they're on their second one now from the city hall after getting fired by their first one. It was a weird reversal where the attorney fired the client. Um, what do you say to that idea of the influence and the potential conflicts that that would rise? I would say a couple of things. So the first thing is, is yes, he is a principal at Laylaw Walters. He is not an equity partner and he is not a municipal attorney. So he's a trial attorney and his client base is someone who is sued or who needs to sue someone. To that extent, there are two other very capable litigation attorneys. Both of us know how to, you know, we've been married to each other, not working at the same place for 23 years. We know how to navigate that. We always want the appearance of propriety, transparency, and and always to remain vigilant to our clients, but also our community and what that looks like. I'll also say, though, that Blaylock Walters has been a firm for 100 years. He's been a part of it for 19. And in those 19, they have never needed me to sustain their business. I've not needed them. I've built my own firm by myself. I'm proud of that. It's mine. And I don't feel like this, my career, in other words, Blaylock Walters has no bearing on it, period. Um, I feel like it's that simple. <laughs> Fair answer. Um, okay, let me ask you to 
uh, or give you an opportunity, I should say, uh, to speak directly to our listeners and, and uh, the potential voters among them. What is your argument for why you would be the best representative for that ward on the city council? I think it boils down to performance and choices. So like I said in the beginning, our na my neighborhood desired a different choice several years ago, but they're disappointed in the performance. Things for us have not changed. Uh, when I first put my name in the hat, it was after I was the last one. Um, like I said, I, I stand by that. I, when I commit to something, I'm going to commit to it. I need the, the space to get to the commitment. And it was at the insistence of the neighbors, and, and they've been really you know, solidly behind me. They're you know, the core of the campaign team. And so I would say, given that I'm the only one who's been a longtime resident, given that I'm the only one who is currently and has been for the past 12 years raising a family here, given that I'm a small business owner here, and I have a skill set that seems that it would be beneficial that I could provide to the city, I don't need to be doing this, but I want to. I care. And I hope that that translates to the citizenry that if you gave me your vote, I would doggedly work for you. I, I would not stop until I felt that I had done a good job for you. Excellent. So this has been Lisa Gonzalez-Moore. She will be a candidate on the November ballot for Bradenton City Council Ward 4. And if you're anywhere in the city of Bradenton, that will be on your ballot with three people. Winner takes all. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And I wish you the best of luck in this campaign. Thank you. I this has been the Bradenton Times podcast. Check us out this Sunday at thebradentontimes.com. Remember, you can get podcasts episodes early, uh, usually early Friday afternoon or, or uh, late afternoon at the latest by following us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcast platform you use. Mitch Maley, Bradenton Times, thank you very much.